If you have your Bibles, why don't you open them to Mark chapter 14, verse 26. Tonight we're really on hallowed ground. We're peering into the very heart of the cross. And we're looking through the eyes of one of Jesus Christ's closest friends as we really plunge into the struggle of the divine son as he glimpses what awaits him at the cross. And church... We are privileged. We are tonight going to be meeting with God himself. You know, C.H. Spurgeon, uh, one of my heroes and one of the greatest preachers of all time, said this about our passage tonight. He said, Since it would not be possible for any believer, however experienced, to know for himself all that our Lord endured in the place of the olive press. It is clearly far beyond the preacher's capacity to set it forth to you. Jesus himself must give you access to the wonders of Gethsemane. As for me, I can but invite you to enter the garden bidding you put your shoes from your feet for the place whereon we stand is holy ground. Church, tonight, I want to bid you, come with me. Come with me and enter into the garden. Come and meet with our Lord Jesus Christ. Let me read from verse 26. This is the Word of God. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. And Jesus said to them, You will all fall away. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter said to him, Even though they all fall away, I will not. And Jesus said to him, Truly, I tell you, this very night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he said emphatically, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said the same. And they went to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, Sit here while I pray. He took with him Peter and James and John, 
began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even at death. Remain here and watch. And going a little further, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. And he came back and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is indeed willing, but the flesh is weak. And again he went away and prayed, saying the same words. And again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy and they did not know what to answer him. And he came the third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping? And taking your rest, it is enough. The hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. Why don't you join with me as we pray? Lord, It is impossible for us to fully grasp what you endured on that night in the Garden of Gethsemane. Yet tonight we ask that by your grace, you would help us. Help us enter in and see all you endured for us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, church, um, if you are visiting us and you don't know me, uh, what you may not know is that growing up, I went to a performing arts high school, uh, Wollongong High School of the Performing Arts. I guess that kind of makes me a performing artist. Uh, It's not the kind of manly upbringing that uh, you know would have hoped for on reflection. You know, um, uh, us performing artists at Wollongong High School of the Performing Arts, uh, we used to get beat up a lot by the boys next door in Kira Boys High School. Um, 
But one of the things growing up in a performing arts high school that uh, I experienced and really was privileged to take part in is uh, many musicals and pantomimes and performances. And the thing that I loved the most about these occasions uh, was getting behind the scenes. The behind the scenes moment. Behind the scenes, uh, you see the costumes and the makeup and the characters and the sets and the training and the rehearsals. I mean, it's one thing to watch a person playing their role, it's a very another different thing to get behind the scenes. Behind the scenes, you get a closer look at what they are really like. Behind the scenes, you get close up and personal with the cast in full. Well, today we're witnessing in the Garden of Gethsemane really a behind the scenes look at Jesus. We are getting up and close and personal with Jesus as we look at a personal and private and intimate prayer that he has alone with God. Jesus in this passage that we've just read is really wrestling with the reality that his hour has come. And so if you're taking notes this evening, uh, this message is entitled, The Hour Has Come. And we're going to look at three Simple points, but really one simple hope in this message and one real heart desire that I've had in preparing this message. And and that's simply that we'd get to see His great love for us. We're getting up and close. We're getting behind the scenes with Jesus. We're looking from a first-hand perspective at all He was going through in the lead up to the cross and really what my heart's desire and I believe Mark's desire for us tonight is really to see something of the love that took Him to the cross for us as we look at it tonight. And so let's get stuck in with point one, His lonely path. His lonely path. Uh, We've been looking at Mark's Gospel for some time now as a church. And Mark's Gospel is really divided into two halves. Uh, The first half is all about who Jesus is. And we see him as one that's different from others, teaching with authority. We see him as one who comes and heals the sick. We see the way in which he commands all of nature. We see him raising the dead. We see him forgiving sin. And it culminates in chapter 4 where the disciples ask, Who is this that even the wind and nature obeys him? And, and the answer to that question comes in chapter 8 where Peter declares, Jesus, you are the Christ. You're the king that we've been waiting for. And Jesus begins to preach that he's going to be betrayed and killed and rise again. I mean, we, we so easily lose something of the scandal of what Jesus' message has become. I mean, imagine if someone was going around and telling people, guys, I've got a great message for you, and that is that I'm going to be killed. I mean, it's, it's a strange and 
puzzling message. And yet time and time again, Jesus' message is just that. He has come to be killed and to rise again. In chapter 10, uh, verse 32, we see Jesus leading the march towards Jerusalem to face his death. And in 1045, he teaches that the Son of Man's come not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a, a ransom for many in Jerusalem. In Jerusalem, he arrives in chapter 11 on Palm Sunday, which we celebrated last weekend. And rather than the anticipated, spectacular and triumphant arrival of a king into his, into his kingdom, into the capital city to take the throne, what we see is Jesus experiencing conflict and confrontation as he meets with the religious leaders and as they try and set him up for failure. In chapter 14, where we have now arrived at, the plot to kill him begins. And we see Judas sneakily leave the Last Supper on what would have been Thursday night to betray him for 30 pieces of silver. I mean, Judas knows these religious leaders want to kill him. And for 30 pieces of silver, the price of a slave, not even half the value of the perfume Mary had poured out on Jesus, he betrays him. He sells him out. And Jesus, in just the previous passage that we looked at on Palm Sunday, Uh, is gathered with his disciples enjoying that last supper as he explains that this meal comes to represent now what I'm going to do for you just in a few hours' time on the cross. And having taken the last supper, they sing a few songs and depart. And they move to what is a favorite spot of Jesus's. And that's the Mount of Olives. And we can assume that it was called the Mount of Olives because olive trees grew on this particular mount overlooking the temple. And they come to this spot within the Mount of Olives called the Garden of Gethsemane. Literally, as um, Charles Haddon Spurgeon alluded to in in that quote, the olive press. And where... We find ourselves in the garden. Our passage begins. And so let's reread those opening verses again. Verse 26. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. And Jesus said to them, You will all, you will all fall away. Feel the weight of what Jesus is saying here. These are his best friends. You will all. It's such a shock. And yet the Savior in command again, foreseeing what is coming. And what is coming is a lonely path. 
But the Savior does not just see the disciples' failure. He sees the fulfillment of the promise of God. He says, verse 27, You will all fall away, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. He quotes Zechariah 13, in which God talks about raising up a shepherd or a leader of his people. And in this passage, amazingly, God raises up this leader only to strike him. Jesus' point is, what is coming is the plan of God himself. This is no accident. This is no Jesus caught up in the cogs of history and fate. This is the plan of God from the beginning of time. Let's read on. He says this, But after I'm raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. It's probably the most forgotten verse of the whole passage. It's a verse that seemingly none of the disciples seem to remember. He will die. He will be raised from the dead. Again, the shepherd is struck. And not a single person would remember what he had spoken. The shepherd is struck and they all will flee. Every disciple will abandon him. And Peter, Peter in his usual brash manner, we know Peter does not hold withhold his private opinion. He speaks up and he says the following. He says, he says even though they all fall away, I will not. And Jesus said to him, truly I tell you, this very night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he said it emphatically. If I must die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said the same. You know, Peter in our passage is still blinded by his culture. He sees Jesus as being a king who's come to overthrow the Romans, the corrupt religious elite, and to physically claim the throne in Jerusalem. And he is preparing himself for a final showdown. And so Peter is saying something akin to, look, Jesus, even if we go to death in battle, I will not deny you. Peter says, even if in this showdown, I have to die, I am willing to fight it to the end. And all the disciples agree. And Jesus, the divine king, looks at him. He says three times, you will deny me, Peter. You see, church, his journey to the cross is to be the loneliest of journeys. He will be completely alone. All of us at different times can in some ways relate to that, can't we? being alone. You know, many years ago, I can remember being by myself at a difficult time as a younger man in my room, just crying. 
wishing for a friend. The truth is, I wasn't actually alone. I mean, I had my family and I had my church and people around me. We relate to it, don't we? You know, Freddie Mercury, uh, in an interview with Time magazine, just before he died, uh, Freddie Mercury, for uh, some younger folks, uh, is the former lead singer of Queen and uh, one of the all-time great uh, rock legends. He, He said the following. He said, in what's a tragic interview before he died, he said, you can have everything in the world and still be the loneliest man. And that's the most bitter type of loneliness. Success has brought me world idolization and millions of pounds, but it's prevented me from having the one thing we all need, a loving, ongoing relationship. Russell Brandt, uh, the comedian, puts it a similar way. He says in response to an interview about his drug and alcohol problem, he says, drugs and alcohol are not my problem. Reality is my problem. Drugs and alcohol are my solution to fill up the hole that's inside me. You know, church, even in a busy city filled with millions of people, you can find yourself incredibly lonely. You can be successful. You can be at the pinnacle of success and be lonely. You can be married and lonely. You can be surrounded by people and be incredibly lonely. We can experience loneliness, but only ever to a lesser degree. Because his loneliness is different from ours. He would be truly alone. You see, it wasn't just that his journey was lonely, his burden was lonely. No one understood. He suffered completely alone. That's his lonely path. But not just point one, his lonely path. Point two, his deep distress. Church, I just pray that God would help us to hear this. In these verses, we are plumbing into the depths of the divine God-man. We are going to witness the incredible intersection of His nature's divine Son and humble man. Read with me these next two verses. It says the following. Verse 32. And they went to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, Sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful. Just imagine with me the scene. 
come into the garden of the olive press. Imagine uh, a stone wall. Imagine a hut with the olive press inside. Imagine olive trees surrounding. And he takes with him just three of the disciples, Peter, James, and John. And And just these two words that he says, just these two powerful words, it says, and he began to be greatly distressed and troubled. Two words. The first moved in a way that catches you by surprise. Moved to the extent that it almost shocks you. And the other, deep anguish, deep distress. Let's read on again, verse 34. And he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. My soul is deeply grieved, even to the point of death. I am in such distress, says Jesus, that it feels like I'm going to die. Why? What is the cause of this distress? You know, church, many men have faced their deaths with calm and composure. Why the absolute agony in this moment of the Christ? Well, in order to truly understand what Jesus Christ has caught a glimpse of, we need to pause and understand just who He is. You see, the great revelation of the Bible is that God has always existed as a father who loves his son through the Holy Spirit. God is three persons in one holy being. God is a loving relationship. God is love. You know, our relationships are marred and and imperfect. God's relationship within, within himself is absolutely perfect. Think of the greatest love of your life. His love within Himself is greater still. You know, the first time I ever held Charlotte's hand, my wife, you know, I still remember with such clarity that moment, uh, such a moment of joy and passion for me. The love of the Father for His Son through the Holy Spirit is far greater still. Think about the... the The love of a father at his first glimpse of his newly born baby child. Think about the incredible bond in that moment as he looks lovingly at his child. The love of the father for his son through the spirit is far greater still. Go back four and a half billion years when scientists believe the earth was newly formed. And what you would find is a father loving his son through the Holy Spirit. Go back 14 billion years 
before scientists believed there even was a universe, you would find in that moment a father loving his son through the Holy Spirit. The greatest love the world has ever seen exists within God. And because God is such a loving Father, He made the world and everything in it. And as He made the world and us as His creatures, we walked with Him in this intimate, loving relationship with our Father. But we rejected His good rule. And the world began to self-destruct. We turned our back on this loving Creator. We rejected Him and now we stand accountable to Him. The writer of Hebrews says, All men are destined to die and then face judgment. But, 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 but why judgment? I mean, doesn't it sound a little bit harsh to be judged? Well, the reason is twofold. Firstly, because He's our loving Father, our rejection of Him is betrayal. We have betrayed our loving Father, our friend. But more than betrayal, it's treason. For He is the rightful King of kings and Lord of the universe. And yet we live saying, my life, my rules. And so we rightly stand condemned. You see, because of our treason, because of our betrayal, rightfully there is a punishment. Someone must pay for our debt. Just like a judge in a courtroom with a convicted pedophile. With irrefutable evidence, with the verdict resounding guilty, cannot simply say, walk free, be on your way. That's injustice. And because we have committed betrayal against our Father, treason against our King, someone must pay for our debt. And so God so loved the world that He sent His only Son. Why? Because God is a Father and He wants us to be back with Him. Well, why the agony of the Christ? Well, God the Son now sees His moment has come. The Father whom He has always been in perfect relationship with, with for billions upon billions upon billions upon billions upon billions of years before there was a single star in the sky in perfect loving relationship will now pour out his wrath on him and so he says I'm so distressed it feels as though I'm dying read with me verse 35 and Going a little further, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. 
he sees the coming wrath of his father and it knocks him off his feet. And he cries out and he prays, Lord, take it away. Take it away from me. And this is what he prays. He says, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. Remove this cup from me, Father. Yet not what I will, but what you will be done. Church, Jesus sees what the morning will bring. He sees the imminent betrayal by a close friend. He sees that he will be abandoned by his disciples. Two sham trials. He sees that they would crucify him at 9 o'clock and at 12 p.m. He sees that the sun would disappear and darkness would descend. You see, darkness in the Old Testament was a symbol for God's anger and judgment. All of God's anger for all the evil and wickedness in the world poured onto His Son like a ray from a magnifying glass. And God the Son looks up to His Father in heaven who from the beginning of time was His beloved Loved with a million times greater love than the love of any father. And God turns to pour his anger on the son. You blasphemer. You adulterer. You thief. You liar. You abuser of animals. You abuse of children. You murderer of the innocent. You greedy banker. You corrupt politician, you worshiper of false gods, you are selfish, you are proud, you are faithless, you are heartless, you are ruthless. And from the darkness, the son screams in agony as his father turns his face away. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And Peter writes, He hangs on the cross, bearing God's anger for our sins in his body. He has come as a ransom for many in our place. So we can come before a loving judge and be found not guilty. And knowing what the morning would bring, Jesus stares into the eyes of the Father and says, Abba, Father, Remove this cup from me. Take it away. Take this judgment away from me. He is the divine son, but he has become man. He sees the task before him and he genuinely wants to avoid it. Church, see His love for you in these verses. Who could ever question His 
great love for you. His, his love for you was such that His greater will is for God to be glorified and many to be saved. And so He prays, but not my will, but yours be done. You see, His deep distress was that He saw He must face the wrath of God for the sin of mankind completely alone. But not just his lonely path and not just his distress, but thirdly, our great need. You see, the divine son, King Jesus, is facing his hour. He is pouring out his soul to God. He is pleading for the cup to be removed. He is tempted to abandon his cause and he is resolving to submit to his father. But where are the disciples? Where are those disciples? You know, you might be sitting here and thinking, you could never be a Christian. Because being a Christian is about being good. And you're not good. Well, I want to encourage you, look to the example of the disciples. Where are those disciples? The Savior is pouring out his heart and soul to God. Where are the disciples? Verse 37, and he came and found them sleeping. The disciples are sound asleep. And the Savior travels alone to pray and repeatedly he finds the disciples sleeping. They want to be faithful to him and yet they're so full of weakness. But remember the Lord already knew beforehand that his disciples were weak. In verse 27 he says, you will all fall away. He knows in advance that they will fail him. And so how beautiful that the Savior does not reject those who are weak and full of failings. He knows that his chief disciple would deny him three times, but he chooses him regardless to come and follow him. J.C. Ryle says the following, he says, Let us take comfort in the thought that the Lord Jesus does not cast off his believing people because of failures and imperfections. He knows what they are. He takes them as the husband takes the wife, with all their blemishes and defects. And once joined to him by faith, he will never leave them. He is a merciful and compassionate high priest. It is his glory to pass over the transgressions of his people and to cover their many sins. He knew what they were before conversion. Wicked guilty and defiled, yet he loved them. He knows what they will be after conversion, weak, erring, frail, yet he loves them. He has undertaken to save them, notwithstanding all their shortcomings. What he has undertaken, he will perform. You see, church, the disciples' example highlights 
our great need. We relate to them. We are weak. We have failed. And we can't fix our problem alone. You know, for some people here tonight, you're aware of your failings. You feel like a failure in marriage. You feel like a failure with your kids. You feel like you've failed as a parent. You're disappointed with how your career has turned out. You haven't got the marks that you'd hoped for in your studies. You don't have the same finances that you once did. And so you look at your life and you think, failure. And for others here, you've been incredibly successful. You have a great marriage. Your kids are great. You look at your career and it's fantastic. You look at your study, you've enjoyed it and excelled. You look at your finances and yet you find your success hollow. You find it hasn't filled you like you'd expected. You know, Jim Carrey uh, famously said, I wish everyone could be rich and famous. So they'd realize that that's not the answer. And it's true, isn't it? Success, in the end, proves hollow. Whether you're aware of it or not, we've all failed. We've failed in the area that matters most to God. In that we haven't kept, as Jesus says, the great command. And that is to love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, with all our strength. If we're honest, we know we're not the people we should be. But here's the good news. Failure and weakness is not something to be afraid of with God. That is why Jesus came. The God who is a loving Father, loving His Son through the Spirit, wants you. He's not happy to see you face punishment for your rejection of Him. Jesus has gone to the cross so that God might forgive you. In the words of C.H. Spurgeon, He took the cup in both hands and drank damnation dry. The simple message of Scripture is repent and believe. Repent is expressing sorrow for rejecting God and turning your back on Him. To believe is to entrust yourself, your whole being to God. To pray in the words of Jesus to God, but not my will, but yours be done, God, with my life. Have you put your trust in Christ? Do not wait a second longer. Do it today. You know, it's easy as a younger person to believe you've got plenty of time. In the last few weeks, we've been mourning with a family in this church who lost a loved one completely unexpectedly. Otherwise healthy, passed away just before his 25th birthday. Cause unknown. We simply do not know the length of our days. And so I want to plead with you If you haven't put your trust in Jesus, do not wait a second longer. Do it today. Simply repent and believe. Receive the gift in full that he walked the lonely path.
to, to purchase for you, that he experienced the deepest of distress for you. Well, in closing, having finished his last supper, Jesus began his lonely path to the cross. Yet it wasn't to simply walk alone, but to also suffer the wrath of God alone. All of this to fulfill our great need to be reconciled to God. Church, I trust on this evening you've seen his great love for us. I want to invite the band to come up and close for us as uh, I close in prayer for us this evening. Lord Jesus, we, we cannot fully comprehend the depth of sorrow and distress that you experienced as you foresaw the coming wrath of your Father. We cannot fully comprehend what it must have been like for you to plead with him, Lord, take it away. And yet what we can do is fall to our knees and worship you and thank you that you took his cup in both hands and drank damnation dry. That we might be welcomed by you. Lord, take that truth and impress it to our hearts this Good Friday. I'm praying in Jesus' name. Amen.